Again, I want to thank uh, Pine Hills. Thank you for coming. Thank you for all your work. I understand that I want to hear the story about how you broke your foot. Should we have this as a testimony? Um, we are. Uh, <clears throat> we have been for a while now talking about the Babylonian exile, specifically as it related to Daniel. And uh, we have moved on and we're talking a little bit about uh, a couple of the exilic prophets and what's going on with them. Um, Specifically, for those of you who haven't been around in this process, we've been talking about the exilic prophets because that's the ones that relate most to us. If you think about the people who live on the earth after sin has taken over as the ruler in our planet, we live in a sort of state of exile. We've been, we've been separated from God and we're in this, this moment in history where we are no longer really experiencing all that God wished for us to experience. We're not in the promised land. We don't have his presence with us in the way he had hoped. And we have been separated because of sin. That's exactly what was happening in Babylon. Israel was sent off for all of the, to, in all of those circumstances, separated from God, out of the promised land, separated because of their sins, separated because of their decisions. And so we, um, we, we've been going through this and looking at it under the subject of a God-directed life. And I just want to remind you of a couple things about a God-directed life. A God-directed life is a choice. You don't happen into a God-directed life. You don't stumble into it. You don't just go with the flow and eventually you find yourself there. It's a choice. It's a choice that has to be made regularly and repeatedly. A God-directed life is a, direct, uh, is a life choosing to listen to the voice of God and to step out with Him and to go where He's leading. So as we talk about this today and as we think about our state as exiles, I want to invite you, if you haven't already decided, that you would make your mind up to live a life where you listen for the voice of God and go in the direction he leads. This morning we're talking about a very famous passage. It's in Ezekiel chapter 37, and it's the story of the valley of the dry bones. The valley of the dry bones. Now, um, I don't know if you feel like uh, you've heard this before. Maybe you have. I I looked just on the internet to see what, what was there from preachers. There are Hundreds of sermons from preachers on just this one topic, just this one chapter in Ezekiel. I was thinking about this and realized that this sense of dryness is a fairly common experience for people. It's fairly common for us to think about ourselves in this situation where where we're in in a state of dryness, our spiritually dry, personally dry, physically dry. We just feel that sense of dryness sometimes. Um... This was the the book, the book of Ezekiel, and this chapter was a place for one of the spirituals from the last century, or two centuries ago almost now, to come forward because of that sense of dryness, having been pulled from their homes, taken to a foreign country, forced into labor. This was a, a place that they related to. What was it like to have this feeling of absolute dryness, to be dried out without hope? This morning as we talk about it, I just want to remind you a little bit about some, com- some, some context. First of all, remember Ezekiel was taken into captivity himself. He was in, the val- in this same valley with these folks. He was captive as one of the Israelites, taken on the second round. There were three rounds of captivity. He was taken on the second round. The first round they took sort of princes and elites in that realm. This round they took a group of people who were more... Uh, um, leadership and the priests. And so Ezekiel was a priest 
taken off among the captives. And as one of those taken among the captives, he's there for a while. And then he, about the fifth year, starts to have prophetic visions. So that's what we find in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 on the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. That's the second one. The word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel. Notice he calls himself the priest. He's about 30 years old at this time. That's when he would have normally started his priestly ministry in Jerusalem. He would have normally gone to be a priest actively in the temple at 30. Now he's in exile. There is no, there is no place for him to minister, and God calls him to be a priest. About 592, 593, and then chapter 33 is going to set up for this chapter where we are now. In chapter 33, verse 21, somebody from Jerusalem comes to Babylon. And when they get to Babylon, they bring the news about what's happened at home. It came to pass in the 12th year of our captivity, in the 10th month, on the 5th day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, the city has been captured. And Israel had, the people in Israel in captivity have now learned that Jerusalem has fallen Jerusalem has been destroyed, the walls have been torn down, and the the temple has been burned to the ground. This is what's giving the final sense of dryness to the people. Ezekiel chapter 37, we're actually going to just read it through today. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles if you have one with you today. Ezekiel chapter 37, we're just going to read the first Oh, about nine, ten verses. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know... And again he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover your skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling of the bones. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, and there was no breath in them. And he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied. And as he commanded me, and the breath came unto them, And they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. You've you've heard these sermons. You've heard these stories. You've heard these songs. This is the, the, the shin bone connected to the knee bone song, right? This is that moment when the rattling starts and the bones start to gather out there in the valley. And they start to restack and reshape and the bodies take form. This is this, this interesting, weird and exciting moment scripturally. It's, this, this prophet, now 
We don't allow ourselves to imagine the kinds of things they're experiencing very often, but just try. Imagine what it was like to be taken out into this valley. He's been led by God. He's been, he's been experiencing God's, uh, God's teaching and leadership. He's been listening for the voice of God for a long time. In his 30th year, he becomes a prophet. Now, several years later, the Lord rests on him with an extremely unusual experience, and he says, I'd like you to go out into this valley, or I'd like you to come with me. He takes him out into this valley. And it's full of death. It's a valley full of death. And he looks in the valley and it's so full of bones that it's just there everywhere. In fact, we find out later in the text that that God represents this as an army, like an army that's been so completely defeated that all that's left is their bones. And they've been so neglected that their bones have sat out there on top of the ground and dried out. There's no flesh. There's no nothing. The buzzards and all the other animals have come and picked them clean. There's nothing left of them. And God asks him, can these bones live? Can these bones possibly live? He tells him in the end of this chapter that this experience, that, he's, that what he's looking on is how Israel feels. Verse 11, he says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. We've been taken into captivity. All of our friends have been taken into captivity. The land has been emptied. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple is burned to the ground. There's nothing left for us. There's no hope for us. We're done. If you look at the other prophets, as the other prophets describe this moment, they describe people around Israel passing by the land of Israel, looking on it and shaking their heads. They're doing that sort of tisk tisk thing. They go by and they're... No one has ever been treated like this by their God. Completely abandoned until their land is emptied. Completely abandoned until they've been defeated and defeated and defeated again. What has Israel done? Israel has become a byword for the worst possible treatment in the world. Everybody who walks by, and they walk by for a year and Israel is empty, and they walk by for 10 years and Israel is beginning to decay, and they walk by for 40 years and things are falling into this state of decrepitness. Israel has been dead and buried as far as the people around it are concerned. They're gone. There's no hope. And as far as the people living in Babylon are concerned, with the fall of Jerusalem and the fall of the temple, in the absence of the presence of God, there was no hope. An end of choice can feel like an end of hope. Right? When you have no longer a choice, it can feel like you have no longer any hope, right? Israel found themselves in captivity, no choice to go home. They found themselves far away from home, even if they escaped, the possibilities of getting back were very, very limited. Even if they managed to escape and cross the desert and get all the way back, there was no home left to go to. God had abandoned them. The place was empty. There was nothing left for them to hope for. At least while Jerusalem stood and the temple stood, there might be a possibility that somebody would need to be sent home. There might be a possibility that they could get back there. But now they felt like there was nothing to go home to. There was 
no hope. Now they're here because of their own choices. They're here because of the things they chose to do. Israel had led themselves into this place. They had worshipped all the other gods. But I want you to stop for a second because we tend to think of this, we tend to look at this worship of other gods and we don't, we don't think of it in any kind of modern context. But if, what if I said to you that the worship of all of these gods that Israel was worshipping was nothing more than them trying to gain control? Is that a more common present issue? There's nothing more than them trying to gain control. Why are they worshipping Baal? Because they're trying to control the weather. Why are they worshiping Asherah? They're trying to control peace. Why are they doing burying grandma in the foundation of their house? Because they're trying to, to rebirth fertility in the land. Why are they doing all these horrible things? Why are they sacrificing their children? Because they're hoping for more children. What are they really doing, folks? They're trying to get control. They're trying to find a handle on things in the world around them, in the environment around them that they don't have now. They're trying to find some way to get control of what seems uncontrollable. That is still true today. We don't sacrifice our children on burning altars, but we sacrifice our children on the blazing altar of busyness. We sacrifice our children to the time we've spent somewhere else. We sacrifice our children and the time that we would spend, to spend with them on everything else. Our entertainment. Our work. Our compulsions. Our busyness. It's just as much a sacrifice of the child when the parent isn't there as it was a sacrifice of the child physically and literally then we try really hard to get hold of our experience we try to elevate our experience one of the one of the things that they would do in the uh, in the worship of baal you would relate to you would understand it led it, it drew them in from their uh, baser human passions and we go oh man that was a terrible thing how do they have temples that are doing this thing all over the place uh, drawing people in male and female to these sort of base human relationships and base human passions so that they can elevate and sort of exalt themselves and experience this passion and yeah i drive all over town and i see all these little places dedicated to the same cause they're not worship centers, but for a few dollars you can indulge your base human passion. Or on the internet. Or on the television. Is it really all that different today? What's drying out your bones? What's drying out your bones? What are the things that are drawing the spiritual vitality out of your life? What are the things that are sucking the life right out of you? What choices are you making that are drawing you away from God? Because that's the real dryness here. That's the real battle here. Israel's, the, the people who are crying out about their dry bones are alive and well and living in Babylon. But they feel this sense of distance and dryness. They feel that they can't reach God or be reached by Him. In the modern world, in our environment, it's still true. We get ourselves so wrapped up in things and busyness and activities, some good, some not good, 
that we're pulled away from our relationship with God? What are the things that are drying you out? Sadness can dry you out. That overwhelming sadness can dry you out. Something has happened in your life. It may have happened in the distant past. It may have happened recently. But sadness and loss can dry you out. What does a believer do with loss? We all have it. Everybody experiences it. All of us have sadness. All of us experience things that are difficult for us. What do we do when we face sadness and we start to be dried out? Anger can dry you out. Carrying around a weight of anger and frustration with someone can dry you out. But what do we do? We all experience it. There's always something that can make you angry. Some of us get angry faster than others. Anger can dry your life out. You know it can dry out your marriage. Unforgiveness can dry you out. Favorite sins can dry you out. You know it. You've experienced it. You you feel the separation. You feel the distance. As far as Israel felt themselves far away from God, you feel that separation when you begin to allow these things to become core, central issues in your life. When they become who you are, they become defining of your character, those very things disrupt your relationship with God, and you begin to dry out. You become just like these old dried-up bones, lifeless, helpless, hopeless, and worthless. Can these bones live? Can these bones live? It's an interesting question. The prophet isn't going to, going to venture in here. The prophet doesn't dive in and say, Oh, sure, God, no sweat. You can do that. The prophet doesn't even, doesn't even offer the strength and the power and the authority of God to bring these bones back to life. He says, Listen, listen, you're, you're a prophet. You've been one now for several years. You're almost journeyman prophet territory. Here's your journeyman's test. Can these bones live? Come on, man. Come on, Elijah. Tell me, can they live? You've seen some amazing things. I've taken you all around. I've shown you Jerusalem full and empty. I've shown you the temple gone and rebuilt. I've shown you so much. Can these bones live? Elijah's answer? You know. Which is, I don't know. Now, I want to stop for a sec just on the idea that people who see you don't know you. Do you know that people look at you through their own eyes and don't understand you as a result? Do you realize that when people look at you, they don't recognize who you might be? You see, they see you as you are. They see you with your hang-ups and your mess-ups. They see you as you were designed, as you sit there in front of them. They see you with all the baggage you're carrying. And they see only limitations and brokenness. And God, on the other hand, sees potential. See, the rest of the world sees us in, our, in all of our faults and all of our bad examples and all of our bad behaviors. The rest of the world sees the exterior of us and God sees what we might be. Can these bones live? I don't know, God. You know. I have no idea. Can these decrepit, beat up, worn out, worthless folks, can they make it? Can they live? Can there be something made of this group? I don't know, God. I don't know, God. They don't look like much to me. There's bones as far as I can see. Go ahead. 
go out and prophesy to the bones. These bones that you're looking at that don't look like they can live at all, go and prophesy to the bones. How'd you like that job? You ever had a job where you thought what you were doing was kind of foolish? Kind of ridiculous? You know, they, they sent you out to do something and you went, really? That's my job. I'm going to go do that all day. Ever had that job? I used to sweep a warehouse, huge warehouse, every night. Every day it got dirty again, and every night I swept it. You talk about futility. And it was covered in graphite. Have you ever tried to sweep graphite? If you haven't, you should try it sometimes just for fun. It's near impossible to sweep. There was no vacuum cleaner. I had a, I had a three-foot-wide broom, and I swept about a 10,000-square-foot warehouse every night. Every night. And you couldn't just push this broom. You had to sweep like this. It was a constant, multiple, multiple times to move this little bit of dust out and off the floor. It needed to go away because the stuff would get up in the air. And once it went aerosol, it was a mess. And it was hard for everybody and dealt with, caused problems for everything. Had to be done. But man, it felt futile. And every night to go back and look at that floor and see it again and see the same mess all over that was there yesterday. The only job I had that was worse than that was I used to have to go down below what's known as a cupola. It's the, the area above where they were pouring steel. And the steel would sort of splash out and it would fall down into the space below and stick to everything. And they gave me a pick. And they gave us a shovel and a pick and a, and a, and a really lame old jackhammer. And they sent us down to pick off all the steel that had gathered on the I-beams underneath. It seemed like really good stuff, actually. It seemed like a good idea. Let's just pile on the I-beams. Let it become one big block of steel. Nope. We have to go down and chunk away and try to peel off the steel, which would, by the way, be back tomorrow. Ever had a futile job? Ezekiel, go prophesy to these bones. Go out and talk to the dry bones and tell them, hear the word of the Lord. Now, those of you who have never been a preacher, when you stand up here and it's kind of hot and the air's not moving much, people get a certain look. <laughs> Even those with their eyes open get a certain look. And you feel like what you're doing is pretty futile. And you feel like, I, I don't think anything's getting out there. It's like a wall of glass between me and there, and it's not getting there. It can feel really futile to preach to a, full, to a room full of people who are kind of glazed over. Imagine what it would be like to stand up and prophesy to an empty field full of dry bones. But that's what his job was. Ezekiel, go and prophesy to the dry bones. And there have been a lot of pictures made of Ezekiel standing up there. I gave you one of the more mild ones. He goes out and he prophesies to the bones. But I want you to remember what he said. He said to the bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the one who is the owner and controller and master of everything. Hear the one, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the one who created you, who knit you together in the first place. Hear those words. He hears, he speaks to the, to the bones and the bones begin to gather up. And yes, the, 
the shin bone connected to the knee bone and the knee bone connected to the thigh bone and all the rattling. I love the picture. The Bible says, and there was a rattling out there among the bones. And as the bones began to rattle, they began to collect. Imagine what that sight was like. We could look at this stuff like, oh, it happens to me all the time. No, it doesn't. It would have been crazy. Imagine being standing there in the midst of a field full of dry bone death. And all of a sudden, these things start to shake and rattle and roll and move and gather themselves up into statuesque skeletal structures. And now he's surrounded by Halloween on every side. You could say Halloween. You could say the biology lab. It doesn't matter. Either one. There's, there's skeletons all around him. They're just... All the bodies have gathered together. And then the sinews begin to attach to the body. And now he's getting the, the ultimate biology lesson. He's watching God knit back together the physical form of a human being. He's watching the sinews begin and the muscles attach and the skin gather and hair grow out on once skull, bone, dry, bald heads. And these bones live. And there they stood. Full form. Full statue. No breath. The word of the Lord knit the body back together in proper order. But what happens next brings life. He says, prophesy to the breath. And he calls the breath from the four winds and the breath comes in and fills them. Is this ordinary air? Is air just blowing into these people? Did they just get a fan? No, this is the breath of God. The very essence of life. The very spirit of God, as we'll call it later, animates these people, fills their lungs, fills them with the spark of life, and they come back to life. Can these bones live? Can I say something about your spiritual life? If your spiritual life has gotten dry, if your spiritual life feels like you're a great distance from God, if your spiritual life is starting to struggle, if you've got anger issues, if you've got forgiveness issues, if you've got a sin problem, if there's something pulling you from God and you're starting to dry out spiritually, you know God has been confronting with you with something over and over and over again. It's the God-directed life. You're just not taking direction. He's been calling you to make a turn, and you're just not willing to make that turn. And over and over again, it's been coming at you, and sort of you're getting drier as you get further away from Him, as you've been separated out into some sort of exilic captivity, and you feel like you're way off in Babylon. If your life starts to feel like that, the Word can kind of put things back in order, but the Spirit will give you life again. You see, in the Adventist church, we love the Word. We love the Word. We're almost idolatrous about the Word. We love the Word. And the Word will put you back and put you right and get your stuff back together. It will tell you where to go and how to walk. It will tell you how things are supposed to happen. It will help you get your spiritual stuff in order. What it won't give you is the spark of life. You can be as dead and dry as the Pharisees Jesus preached to and, and who knew and, and aligned themselves so completely with the word, there was no question that they were following the instructions. 
He said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. What's the implication? It's not there. They are those. They, they are that which speak of me. You want to see your life change from just an orderly stack of bones that aren't going anywhere and see the spark of life get back into your spiritual life? Get a a relationship with Jesus that is spiritual, that you know him, that you're connected to him. Begin to pray daily. Begin to seek him out every day. Begin to worship. Begin to listen to music that moves you. I don't care what kind it is. Listen to music that moves you spiritually. Go to God on your knees confessing your sin, confessing your anger, confessing your frustration. Begin to thank God for the things that are hard for you. It is a blessing to be in a place where you cannot pull yourself up. It is a blessing to be in a place where you cannot help yourself anymore. It is a blessing to only have the ability to rely on God. That is a blessing. We don't think it is, but when that happens, then we know what it means to trust in God and see Him come through. Can these bones live? Yep. They can. They can. Some of us have to be so completely dried out that we have no other option. Laying on the ground, unable to move, before we're ready to hear the voice of the Lord and accept the movement of His Spirit. Ezekiel, the people of Israel don't think there's any hope anymore. They don't think there's any option anymore. They don't think I'm listening anymore. Ezekiel, tell the people of God, as long as there's a God, There's hope. No matter how dry you feel, no matter how far away from God you feel, there's hope as long as there's God. Can these bones live? Yes, they can. Can God bring life where there was nothing? Yes, He can. Can God create life out of nothing? Yes, he can. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's drying you out. I don't know what's killing you. Some sin has dragged you down to the point where you don't feel like you can even speak to God about it anymore. He's waiting. He's waiting to talk to you. He's waiting to talk to you like the most loving, compassionate father you've ever heard of in your life. That's who he is. He says, come on, sit down on the couch. Let's talk about it. Come on. Let's work this through. You and I. I'm not throwing you out of the family. I'm trying to help you become stronger in it. I'm not trying to keep you out of heaven. I'm trying to get you home. Come on, sit down next to me. Let's talk about it. You've got some anger issues. You've got somebody you wish there was an eternal burning hell for. You don't ever want to let them go. You don't ever want to see them get any mercy or grace from God at all. Every time somebody brings up grace, she says, grace for everybody but her. Grace for everybody but him. 
You got somebody you really want to see punished? It's time to go sit down on the couch with God and say, God, I don't like this person. I'm going to just lay it out. You know what happened. I really would like you just to judge the hell on them. As much of it as you can give them. And not get up off the couch until you can walk away saying, God, if it comes between, if my need for justice comes between them and eternal life, I don't need justice. That's what forgiveness looks like. That's what forgiveness is. If your busyness is controlling your life, if your busyness is controlling your life, can you, can you stop busyness and start looking for fruitfulness? So we get busy with a lot of stuff that don't produce any fruit. We get busy with a lot of stuff that doesn't, doesn't do anything. There's nothing fruitful in it. It doesn't do anything for the kingdom. It doesn't do anything for our spiritual life. It doesn't do anything for our family. It's just busyness. We need to have and do less junk and spend more time focusing on what keeps us fruitful and what, what really is meaningful in our lives. That busyness will dry you out. You will lose your way spiritually. We, some of us, have gotten so accustomed to the accolades of the world that we think we belong here. Some of us have gotten so accustomed to the accolades and the uplifting of the world around us, we think this is actually home. It's a, it's a, it's a really big temptation for us to fall into a place where we are loved by the world and we are loved by the people around us and we are getting so many accolades and so many blessings and so many things coming our way, personal and financial and emotional. They're, they're filling our cup. Our cup's so full there's no place for God in it anymore. We've gone, become so blessed that we think this is home. We like it here. We don't need heaven. That'll dry you out spiritually. Is this an old sermon? Just an old story? Just an old preacher? Just a bunch of old bones? But there is a day. There's a day in your life when God is calling you to be animated calling you back from the brink of dryness, calling you into the refreshing presence of the Holy Spirit, calling you to stand next to Him, to lift up your heart with His and sing praises and thanksgiving to God. There is a day, and that day is today because it's always today. The story ends with God saying to Israel, hey, I'm, I want you to know, you just go tell the people that... Uh, that I'm going to send them home. They can't see it now. They can't even believe it now. They don't even understand it now, but I'm sending them home. He says, I, I, I'm sending them home, and then they will know that I, the Lord God, have done this thing. I challenge you. If dryness is entering your spiritual life, don't let it be normal for you. 
Don't let it be acceptable to you. Pray. Study if that's what you what turns you on, but make sure it's just to turn you on, not just to learn something. Be in the presence of people who uplift you spiritually. Be with people who pray for you and with you. Sing. Be thankful. Practice, 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 practice thanksgiving. It is so easy to get walled in by our critical natures. It is so easy to to just think negatively about everything and speak negatively about everything. And every time we do, we put a little more dryness into our lives, like pouring sand into our food. Practice thankfulness. Practice thankfulness. Worship. Every day, stand before God and sing His praises. Every day, find music that lifts you toward God. These are the things that give you back the vitality of your spiritual life. One day Jesus will appear in the sky. And when he does, every believer alive gets to experience what Ezekiel saw that day. Where the dry bones live. Where the people of God gathered from all over the planet re-knit together, begin to rise to meet him in the air. And those who are alive and remain are transformed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. And they too rise up to meet Jesus in the air. Whole, healthy, refreshed, as we were meant to be, as God designed us to be, so that we might be with him forever. There's a day when all of these dry bones get animated again. Everybody who calls on the name of Jesus gets animated again. Everybody who falls over that rock that is for stumbling and realizes he cannot save himself will be raised to life again. Don't miss the right home. Don't miss this bus. Don't miss it because you become so attached to something here that you think this is home. Or because you refuse the direction of God for so long that you're no longer listening. Don't miss the right home. Let's pray.